Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello, and you are very welcome along to We Love Movies. Happy New Year to you. Coming up this week, uh, we're going to be taking a look at some of our most anticipated films for 2022. We're also going to look at maybe some of the films that mightn't fare so well this year, what we think will be the big flops, and we'll also throw in some predictions as well. So that's all to come very shortly on We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Yes, you are listening to We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden and I'm joined as always by Andy McCarroll, Chris Wasser and Olivia Fahey. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at some anticipated films for 2022 and some films we think might be the biggest flops of the year. And we'll also get uh, stuck into some big uh, award contenders and some predictions uh, for things that we might see happening. We're going to get a crystal ball out in a bit to see how this year might pan out in the world of film. But first, we're going to take a look at the current state of play for films in cinema, the highs and lows. And I think we'll begin with a film, which is, it's pretty low. It's a, it's a pretty low for a franchise that seemed like, you know what, it was done and dusted. And the sequels that came with this franchise uh, were kind of middling, but it had... But the first film was a game changer when it came to sci-fi. If we rewind the clock to 1999, that film being The Matrix and Reloaded and Revolutions, yeah, they did their thing. And now we have Resurrections. And I've never seen you guys in unison. We we weren't on air at the time when the film came out, but in unison, just in our WhatsApp group about just how poor this film is. Andy, I'll start with you. Going into it, did you even have high expectations? I had semi-high expectations, I'd say. I, thought, I really liked the trailer. I thought it was interesting what they could do within this world if there was a story to be told, you know, so many years after the original, which was, you know, groundbreaking in, in so many ways for films. This one is groundbreaking in an entirely different way in that it is, it's made Matrix Resurrections or Matrix Reloaded look like absolute masterpieces next to this because... It is absolute tripe of the highest order. Like the start of the film, they do that thing where it's like, hey, we're making a sequel to Grab Money. And it's like, you've done this in like 22 Jump Street, done this and done it better. Actually, this year, a Warner Brothers film, Space Jam, done it and arguably done it better. And that was absolutely terrible. Mentioning the fact you're a sequel and all these terrible things it can be. And then making that terrible sequel doesn't make it cool and clever. And there's this discourse now that, oh, she made a terrible film on purpose. No, she didn't. Then how do you explain Cloud Atlas or Jubilee Ascending or any one of the, any film they've done since the original Matrix, which have all been terrible films. Is this some massive trolling job that Lana Wachowski is doing? No, it's just a terribly written, terribly executed mess of a film. The first film was good for one, one of the things that you could say about it is, it was, you know, it was a trans uh, allegory. It was something about capitalism or com- whatever you want to say about that. The film was full of ideas and you could pick what you read into the film then. This film pretty much said, we've got no ideas. Come up with your own one. Oh, I, and there's been so many naysayers to the film because it has just been such a disappointment. Chris, like they've gone very meta here. And 
I suppose I don't know if there's anything to be said that the fact that they've completely changed what people might have expected from a sequel because that was the big talking point initially. Like how are they going to start back up the machine again if some of the main players, spoiler alert, have been killed off um, at the end of Revolutions? So coming at it from this particular angle definitely seems like a bold choice. What did you think of that, that, that whole meta aspect to it? Well, the meta aspect is would work if you fully commit to it. But unfortunately, that part of the story is treated as a bit of a gimmick. So this whole idea that, you know, the events of the first three films were just a video game, that, you know, Thomas Anderson was responsible for creating this world of the Matrix. And, you know, his bosses at Warner want him to create a sequel, all the while he's thinking, you know, things aren't quite as they seem, you know, is this world that I created, is that actually real? Did these things that I put on a screen, did they happen to me? And you know, they did, you know, that nobody, you know, Lana Wachowski, they're not going to say that, you know, everything you watched and loved about the other films that that didn't happen. It did. But unfortunately, all of the meta stuff, then it's kind of just thrown away after half an hour. And there might've been something there, you know, if you actually, you know, thought about it properly, if you executed it well, if you didn't treat it as a comedy, that's one of its biggest problems that sometimes the Matrix Re- Resurrections plays out like a comedy. And it does it does so in a very awkward, uh, uh, in, in a very awkward way. Um, I think the, 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 the biggest disappointment for me was was how clumsily the whole thing was directed. I mean, there are, you, you look at that original film and you think, look at what they were. They were genuinely, Wachowskis were genuinely trying something new here with their with the, the way their fight sequences were choreographed, filmed, edited, uh, everything from, you know, the close-up shots between Morpheus and, and Neo when they're first training together to, you know, the bullet time sequences, just ingenuity, you know, just uh, originality. It, it, it just, you know, it, 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 was so, it was so alive. This thing is just dead on arrival. And there are, there are times where, you know that, you know that video floating around online that proves, you know, the, the likes of the, the, with, with Taken Tree, how Liam Neeson was not doing his stunts and how they went to a great deal of effort yes. to, to do. Yeah. And there's like 16 takes in one three second scene or something like that, where he's jumping over a fence. That's what it's like in the Matrix Resurrections. There's a fight sequence on board a train and you are just jumping from one character to the other, from one corner of the screen. To, and it just, it's, it, it just doesn't make any sense. You can't mm. see anything. You can't make anything out. And it's so disappointing with Keanu Reeves coming from the John Wick films. And I realized they're different filmmakers that they didn't bring some of that sensibility there. They didn't bring something from the John Wick films. The best thing about the John Wick films is how they're choreographed, is how they're filmed. There's none of that in here. So I thought it was quite shoddy. It was quite clumsy, really terribly acted, so poorly acted at times. Um, and I don't buy into this whole thing that Lana Wachowski is probably trolling us and that, you know, she made a bad film on purpose. Nobody sets out to make a bad film on purpose. I think it's a, I think it's a stain on the franchise, you know, <laughs> which is a funny thing to say because the other sequels didn't work either. Yeah, I think that's unfortunately it, isn't it, Olivia, that the, the, the series has been tarnished by these horrendous sequels. But we can't forget just what a groundbreaking film that first one was. But unfortunately, that seems to have been diluted because of the poor sequels. But if you look at the way the Christmas season has gone and now as we're getting into the new year, it was a real um, sort of a seesaw effect at the box office because you had Spider-Man No Way Home. It's this gargantuan success, like it's passed over like one billion at the worldwide box office. And there's the Matrix, a film that you think it's been, here's a chance for it to redeem itself, redeem this series and these sequels. And yet it hasn't delivered what people want yet. Spider-Man has, and it, it kind of plays like a greatest mixtape 
of a lot of elements from within the Spider-Man universe people would want to see. Like, how do you kind of sum up the, the current crop of movies there at the moment with, with those two films being sort of the pillars at, at play at, at, in cinemas at the moment? Well, I think you've actually given us a great comparison there because both films were sort of tugging at the nostalgia strings in our hearts um, in terms of what actually ended up being included in Spider-Man No Way Home and also with The Matrix 4. Like, there, there is that sense of nostalgia attached to The Matrix films, especially because the first one was so groundbreaking. And it wasn't even just in terms of cinema. It was also in terms of pop culture, in fashion, in technology. It was groundbreaking across the board at the time of its release. So for them to come back with this is just a biggest FU to the fans I think that anyone could have produced it was just as Chris was saying a total mess of a film and I totally agree that the fight sequence on that train was also atrocious you just didn't know where to look and considering some of the fight choreography was something that was so notable in the first Matrix film the fact that they couldn't even replicate anything close to that was highly disappointing so it's no wonder that people have been flocking towards Spider-Man even more so than any of the new releases that came in its wake because it's getting the good reviews. Kingsman, uh, sorry, The Kingsman um, and Sing 2, they all came out, it was about a week afterwards, like Christmas week, um, the same day as Matrix uh, Resurrections. And none of them have been able to hold a candle to what Spider-Man has done. And that's because what Spider-Man did was exactly what A, the fans wanted, but not in such a fan service way that it could be taken just as a as a cash grab. It was actually mm. done cleverly. Like everyone who had a cameo, they all had a purpose. They were all there for a reason. Like Willem Dafoe said he didn't want to just come back and have a, a blink and you'll miss it sort of moment of hello, goodbye, or I'm a scientist as well, you know, or I'm something of a scientist, uh, whichever the line is exactly. And um, it's like, they actually used the characters well. They used them all, to benefit the storyline as opposed to just being like hey they're here oh now they're gone so it it was definitely written better it was made better the action sequences were better the whole thing was actually just better and the fact that people are now even talking about it in terms of oscar nominations is astounding because i would actually say it probably does deserve an oscar whereas the matrix way back when probably would have been considered a potential oscar contender considering the the legacy of the first Matrix film. Mm. But because it was so atrocious, it's like, no, no, Razzies all the way, please. Well, let's have a look at other films that are uh, kind of split people as well. And one of which, Andy, was it got a, a limited cinema release, but now it's on Netflix, is Don't Look Up. Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence leading the charge of these two scientists trying to uh, make people aware that there's an asteroid about to hit Earth. And the government needs to book up and do something about it. Uh, well, world leaders need to book up and do something about it. And uh, written and directed by Adam McKay, um, who's best known for now. He's kind of really had a real gear change in his career, going from the comedies of likes of Anchorman and the other guys now to uh, Vice and uh, The Big Short before it, winning a an Oscar for screenplay for The Big Short. But it's really split people, this film. Like, I haven't heard anyone going, eh, it's all right. like, everyone's been pretty much, it's horrendous or... You know, this is actually a very important film, uh, which got a very satirical message about climate change. So, uh, where have you? Where do you sit on this one, Andy? I will dispute that and say I'm on the meh. Like, I can't believe there's so much, you know, heated discussion around a film that's grand. 
Like it's it's something you forget about as you're watching it. And then you've got these people going to go, well, actually, it's about environment change. It's like, you're joking. Really? Is it really about that? Because it's about as subtle as a sledgehammer in the face. It's a film for people who've never seen a film before and think, oh my God, this isn't just about people singing on webs or a man dresses a bat. This is about a different thing as well. And it's like Adam McKay went into the offices of Netflix and went, anyone here seen Dr. Strange, Love or Idiocracy? No? Oh, great, Grant, because I've got this really unique and incredible idea that no one's ever thought of before. It, it plays like a sketch show. Nobody is in the same film. It's like he met with DiCaprio and went, what, what do you want? DiCaprio's like, oh, I just saw a network. I really want network. It's fantastic. You can do the network speech in this in every scene, scream at the top of your voice. Jennifer Lawrence wants our Oscar. Grant, this is an Oscar film as well. And then Jonah Hill was like, I really, I got an Oscar nomination for Wolf of Wall Street. He's like, Grant, play the guy from Wolf of Wall Street in this. Nobody is in the same film. It's really incoherent. Then they have the, you know, the thing where, you know, uh, Mark Rielance is playing, you know, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates and Zuckerberg in one character. And people, it's like people who watch The Big Bang Theory and think, I'm really smart because I watch this show about smart people. It's not, it's just, it is the dumbest smart film that you will ever see. And I think Adam McKay covered something similar so much better in uh, the big short i thought he'd done that in a really clever and interesting way he took a subject you know the, the housing crisis and the, you know the collapse the the economy in 2008 and presented it in a really interesting and different way this way is just like a, a saturday night live sketch show and then there's like a cartoon at the end of it and how people are coming out of this going it's such a really clear really something to say i don't think the critics really got that like no no i have seen a film before i know they don't just be about the thing that's on the screen I understood the message behind it. It just wasn't very subtle and it just wasn't very good. <laughs> and there you go. You summed up very nicely there, Andy. Chris, um, is there a high hope that outside of sort of the blockbuster fair that is uh, playing in cinemas, but is there a sort of smaller films, um, anything of note that people should uh, really sit up and take notice of? Uh, I know Paul Thomas Anderson's got licorice pizza uh, on offer, uh, but um, is there anything else that people should uh, keep an eye out for? Yeah, there are actually a few smaller films knocking about at the minute, um, either in cinemas or on streaming platforms. Um, I think The Lost Daughter with uh, with Olivia Coleman, uh, which is actually Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. Well, with Olivia Coleman and a great performance. Olivia Coleman's performance is kind of, uh, you know, in terms of covers getting in the way of Jesse Buckley's, but they're playing the same person in the film. That's worth a go. That's on Netflix at the minute. Over on Amazon, then you have The Tender Bar, which is another George Clooney directorial efforts you know god loves a trier and george clooney's been trying for years to convince us that he is as good behind the camera as he is in front of it not quite convinced but the tender bar is probably you know it's it's not you know the standard of his films haven't been great but the tender bar is probably a little bit up more it's probably a bit higher up than than than, than the others uh ben affleck is in there it's sort of a a coming of age story based on a novel about a, a based on a memoir about an aspiring writer uh, uh growing up uh in the long island home of his mom's grandfather and kind of how you know in you know with the without a father figure around his uncle um, played by Ben Affleck, uh, helped to raise him and kind of, you know, uh, encouraged him to be a writer. It's very kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit hallmarky at times, but Ben Affleck actually, you know, does give a great performance and it's so great to kind of see Ben Affleck just move away from the bigger productions and remember that, you know, at one time he was actually a good actor. Um, and then we also have uh, uh, something different altogether in, in cinemas this weekend, which is Boiling Point. Um, it's, it is essentially a one-shot drama. And what that means is that it was filmed all in, in a single take, made uh, back in March 2020. 
um, made across two days. I think they might have tried it a couple of times and then just had to say, well, this is this because, you know, the following week then we had the first lockdown. But Stephen Graham plays this head chef at this swanky London restaurant and his name is Andy Jones and he's in a bit of a rough spot, you know, and you learn as the film goes on that, you know, he his personal life is a bit all over the place. Uh, you know, he's, he's in debt. There's a few other things which I won't say. But when he arrives for work on the last Friday before Christmas, which is obviously the busiest night for, you know, for, for, for restaurants and bars, he is surprised to see that there's a health and safety inspector there and his kind of, you know, bad mood at, you know, at being given, you know, a bad score by this health and safety uh, uh, inspector sets off this, you know, just chaotic chain of events where, you know, he's kind of losing the head at staff. He's losing the head, even the customers, an old friend of his comes in to eat that night. You know, there's an awful lot, there's a whole variety of customers in that night. Someone's going to propose to their girlfriend. You, you know, you've got this, these obnoxious influ- influencers in one corner and over the course of about a hundred minutes, the camera just moves around the entire cast and you never get a break. It was all done in a single take. And I know that sounds as though this might be a little bit gimmicky, but it's so much more than that because the performances at the, at the center of this film are terrific. The story is terrific. I think it's an incredible achievement in direction and performance and also okay. a, a chance to see Stephen Graham in something that isn't Venom because he was, I don't want to talk about what happened there. He's brilliant in this. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. What an outstanding actor. Um, we're now going to shift gears and we're going to look at some anticipated films that are coming uh, to cinemas over the next few months. And it's hard to believe, but the new Batman, the Batman, directed by Matt Reeves, one of the co-screenwriters on it as well, and starring, of course, Robert Pattinson. That's going to be in cinemas in March. I totally forgot. It's only when the, the latest trailer hit. Uh, the Bat and the Cat, the third trailer. I was like, oh my God, it's in March. It's it's very soon. And um, let's just take a little trailer, a little bit from the trailer, and then we're going to chat about it next. The Riddler is asking for you. The killer left this for the Batman. Why is he writing to you? You came. I've been trying to reach you. Riddler's latest. It's all about the Waynes. If we don't stand up, no one will. You got a lot of cats. Never think about strays. The bat and the cat. It's got a nice ring. You a new friend of yours? I'm not so sure. I'm just here to unmask the truth about this cesspool we call a city. You're part of this too. Hands up! Stay still! How am I part of this? Oh, you're really not as smart as I thought you were. Bruce Wayne. I can honestly say The Batman is my most anticipated film for 2022. And Olivia, like, it'd be crazy to think that it wouldn't be on your list. What are your thoughts now on what Matt Reeves has achieved here? Because I'm looking at this trailer and all the trailers have been great so far. We've seen shades of... Um, uh, David Fincher seven at times with with some of the look of it, but it seems to me that from this latest trailer that it it looks like it's straddling not only the realism of the Nolan films but the graphic novels seem to be in there something which seemed a bit um so it was what wasn't really there in the Nolan movies the, the Nolan films seemed like they were going for a very Michael Mann kind of feel whereas this one it seems like. It's got a bit of both uh, from from what I can see. What what have you been making of the trailers? Yeah, like for from my perspective, it's great to sort of see a trailer where I could literally sit there, watch it over and over and over again, and I would still spot something different in it every single time. It's great to see 
there are so many sort of like callbacks to the comics and also some of the video games as well while you're you're watching the trailer for this because again like you were saying like the Christian Bale and um Christopher Nolan era that was definitely more of like a mainstream Batman film now I'm not saying they were bad or anything like that they were very well done but in terms of where we're at now and especially with the with geek culture just becoming such a bigger part of pop culture now everyone is always going to be looking for these little easter eggs they're always going to be looking for the little winks and nods to the fans or the the true fans shall we (laughs) shall Mm -hmm. we say the ones that would pick up on all these different things so you've got a lot of different elements at play that Matt just seems to have found a really nice balance between what the mainstream media will want but also what the fans are going to want like there's little little tidbits in there about the Court of Owls. There's a lot of history in there to do with the origin story of the Riddler, but done in a way that's only been done in one sort of stream of comics that may not have actually done like a very big commercial success, but they are kind of like a bit of a cult following um, at the moment. So they're tying in a lot of different elements to this. And that's what's exciting. It was actually similarly done with um, Spider-Man No Way Home. They tied in a comic that actually had been panned when it was first released, but they managed to edit it in a way for the film that it actually made sense and made it into a very successful story, in my opinion. And I kind of hope that the Batman is going to do the same thing with this angle also. And I'm just so excited just to see what other little surprises they have in store for us, because there are clearly a lot that's going to happen. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I cannot wait. Do you know what? I think Matt Reeves is a great director. Robert Pattinson, Looks like a really good choice for this younger Bruce Wayne with hints of Batman year one very much at play. Uh, it's it's coming in March. Cannot wait to see it. Um, just to, uh, Andy, just to look at some other films which are coming out. Uh, Scream, the fifth one. I hate, you know what really bothers me is when they're trying to revitalize the series. And instead of just calling it, like putting the numeral beside the film, which... I think sometimes it needs to have like, you know, Scream 5. No, we'll just call it Scream. Like they did that with Rambo, for example. Like it was the fourth film in the series. Oh no, we'll just go back to Rambo, Clean Slate. Why bother with the numbers anymore? But that's coming out in uh, January. That's down as one of your picks. Then we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Cannot wait to see that. I thought the the first film in that series was, I think up there as one of the best Spider-Man movies that we've seen. We're getting The Flash and uh, oh, Ezra Miller is still in there. I can't, I can't deal with him. And um, and then we've got Scorsese's uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, which is coming to Apple TV. And not to mention Jurassic Park Dominion, uh, or is it Jurassic World Dominion? I, at this stage, I've kind of lost track of what they're calling this. So we've got lots going on there, Andy. But just out of that list in particular, is there a film that you're going, oh, cannot wait to see that one? Well, obviously, Scorsese film is always something that I'm very excited by. And what excites me about this is the return of Brendan Fraser as well. It looks like this could be the one that kickstarts his resurgence. As you know, he's been very memeable for the past few years. And I really and he's hope... in the sorry to cut across you, he's also in the whale, isn't he, for Darren Aronofsky too? Yeah, so two of the the biggest directors of the last you know 40, 50 years have seen something in him to put him back into this. So I'd be like to see him get back. He is someone who seems like he is a, a genuinely nice guy who just got absolutely wrecked in a divorce settlement and derailed his career and his, you know, his personal professional life for years. Scream. Yeah, I agree. Why not call it Scream 5, especially if you're bringing the cast back. I just think Scream 3 and 4 just kind of came and went and they don't want to be kind of tired with the brush of people thinking, oh, I need to watch 3 and 4 before I get to that. The Flash excites me just to see Michael Keaton back, as you said, into the Spider-Verse. Not only one of the best Spider-Man, one of the best 
comic book movies I've seen. One of the best animated films I think I've ever seen. I actually wrote a piece for Geek Ireland about it. You can check that out. Cheap plug. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Jurassic Park Dominion is the one that kind of intrigues me, or sorry, Jurassic World Dominion, because the series I haven't really enjoyed. I didn't think Jurassic World was great. I thought the last 15 minutes of the last one was okay. And now you're in a, a, a section now where it's like, hang on, what happened at the end that they're in the real world now, or they're in you know the, the wider world that's not on a park? I don't, but these films just inexplicably make, well, it's not inexplicable, it's about, you know, dinosaurs roaming the earth, of course it's going to make money. This could be the one where it doesn't really quite hit as big as the other ones, even though it's got Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum returning. It just feels like there isn't that momentum behind it anymore, and I think there's too much around that release date as well that could pick away from that. There's a lot there to chew on. There's so many big films that are coming out this year, and also there's... um, I could be wrong on this, Chris, but Steven Spielberg, his film is The Fablesman is coming out, which I think is pretty much like a love letter to his childhood uh, because one of the the big elements of play in the likes of E.T. is uh, is uh, parents who have been separated and the impact that has on the kids. And so I think he might be touching on that in his own film. And if Seth Rogen's in it, that's a film I cannot wait to see. So that that's coming um, um, later this year. But... Can I just move on to flops, uh, big flops that we are going to try and predict now? Because people might forget that Avatar 2 is set for release this year. I'm still very much like on uh, wait and see. But 2022 is when James Cameron has said, no, no, it's coming out. And I'm sure Disney are making sure he sticks to it. Why do you think this is going to flop? Well, before I answer that, I would just like to commend you on that fabulous pun after Andy was finished talking about Jurassic World and you said there was a lot to chew on. Secondly, <laughs> um, the Steven Spielberg film, yeah, The Fablemans, that is on my red. That does sound special. And I mean, we know so little about it, but it's Spielberg. It's based on his childhood. It is a coming of age drama. And it's also got Michelle Williams and Paul Dano in it. So, you know, sign me up. Um, in terms of Avatar 2, I'm not sure what way this is going to go, but I don't think it's going to be an absolute disaster. But I don't think it's going to make, you know, in terms of impact and in terms of, you know, box office revenue, I don't think it's going to leave as big a dent as James Cameron and, and, you know, all of his investors are hoping it will. Um, Because the fact that Avatar is the biggest, you know, and for a while it was the second biggest and then it was re-released after Avengers Endgame. So it's now back on top. It is number one. It is the biggest film of all time. But for the, despite having that title, that first film has no cultural footprint whatsoever. And, and, you know, we, we could talk about it. I mean, I'm sure between us, one of us has maybe watched it again in the last five or six years. That's wishful thinking, maybe. But I'm sure we'd have trouble remembering the characters' names, remembering, you know, uh, action sequences, uh, you know, who wrote the screenplay, the name of the actors that are in us. Uh, it, it was just this phenomenon at the time that you know it was riding the wave of of 3d cinema and it was you know jim cameron was out in front you know for a month saying this is not like other 3d films you know we really did shoot this in 3d and it's going to be more effective than anything you've ever seen it was it was for two or three hours it 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 did the trick but afterwards it was it was kind of like you know no offense like it did feel like a video game that you played and thought right grand on to the next one it just didn't leave any sort of 
mark on me. I just I don't remember even being moved by it, or and you know I had no desire to watch it again. I has come up on television and it does look like a bit of a cartoon. So anyway, James Cameron has spent the last ten years kind of saying I'm going to make four or five films, and this is going to be like my Star Wars because that's the thing. He always wanted his own Star Wars. He felt cheated. He said the first time that he ever saw Star Wars because he thought I wish I'd come up with that. Um, and I could talk again. You know, we could talk about this for hours and how you know it's not going to do well and and you know it's going to be a disaster for the students and a disaster for james cameron he's 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 very good at proving everyone wrong so i don't think it's so i don't think it's you know titanic was going to lose everybody it was going to just you know it was going to be mortifying for everyone that's what everyone was saying a month ahead of its release it was way over budget this was the end of james cameron's career it was such a mistake for leo and kate to get involved look what happened there so i think it's going to it will, you know, there will be fireworks around its release and it will probably be number one at the box office and, you know, it might even get good reviews. Then it'll sink. It won't, it won't do what the last one did. There's no way it will do what the last one did. I think there's two things of a benefit to Avatar 2 is one, it doesn't have this kind of built-in barrier to entry, you know, like something like The Matrix or Star Wars where people yeah. will see and go, oh no, I'm not watching The Matrix film or Star, that, that's not something I'm into. I don't think it has that. The second thing is that Cameron does sequels where you don't need to have seen the original, even though this is his film. Like you look at Aliens, Terminator 2. Granted, they're they're enhanced if you see the other, but you don't need to have seen Aliens or the first Terminator to like the sequels. Yeah. I think those ones are good. What will work against it is the fact that there are supposed to be three more after this mm-hmm. where people might say, oh, I'm not getting invested in this, knowing that there's more of these to come. You know, it, it's fine. I agree with Chris. I think it'll do well. It'll It's not going to lose money on this one. Where it will start to lose money, I think, is parts, you know, three forwards coming down the line as well. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, because I think at this point, three is still, they've done, there's still a lot of work to, to happen with three. I don't know if they've kind of pulled back a little bit there, but maybe they kind of want to see how the second one is going to do before they start adding a lot of the big touches to the third one. But, um, yeah, it's going to be really intriguing to see if there is a big appetite uh, for Avatar 2. And also, is there an appetite for the third Fantastic Beast film? Because, I don't know, Olivia, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, personally, I actually thought that the trailer for uh, The Secret of Dumbledore, I thought that actually looked pretty decent. It looked very good. And let's just say recent controversies are not really helping it much. So even if it is a good film and gets good reviews i don't see people going to see it purely based on comments made by jk rowling that have angered uh, people in the community quite a bit so i think that even though it could actually end up being one of the stronger films in the franchise i don't see it actually being seen as a commercial success which is unfortunate because i think fantastic beasts and where to find them actually was very strong i thought it was a really interesting concept and definitely opened up the world of Harry Potter a little bit more because when you're watching Harry Potter and I've been watching a lot of Harry Potter recently thanks to the uh, the reunion special it's very insulated in the wizarding world whereas what Fantastic Beasts was it basically took wizards and put them in the real world and showed how they needed to find the balance between the the muggles or the no mages as they call it and Fantastic Beasts because it's set mostly in America um, and the wizards and trying to keep magic hidden and things like that which I actually found to be quite an interesting aspect because yeah you don't really think of when this these like magical creatures or dragons that are flying around hogwarts like what happens if a dragon's flying around you know the city Mm. (laughs) like you gotta gotta try and figure that out so that's that's a line that 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 the fantastic beasts uh franchise that's 
an angle that they've been exploring quite well. Um, and it has been adding to the franchise as a whole, but unfortunately, you know, no one really wants to be lining Rowling's pockets anymore. So they're seeing yeah. it as taking a stand against her comments by not going to see it, which I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to work out in either favor, purely because it, it does actually look like a really good film, which is just such a shame that it's attached to someone who people think is deplorable now. Oh, I think and- it will all depend on as well, just to add uh, to Olivia's point, I think it will all depend on, on how it's marketed um, mm. because uh, something very strange, I don't know if, you, if you've watched the, the Harry Potter 20th anniversary, the return to Hogwarts, it, it, the only... J.K. Rowling's name is mentioned quite a bit. She's referred to as Joe throughout it. And then, but the only footage with J.K. Rowling herself is interview recordings from, from 2019. And every time she's on screen for just a matter of seconds, blink and you miss it, there's a disclaimer in the corner telling you that this footage was recorded in 2019. And straight away, even if you don't know anything about the Rowling, even if you know anything about her comments, you know, about, you know, gender identity, about the, the, the transgender community, um, it, you would think, what's going on there? That's, that, that's a little bit weird. Why is it telling us 2019? And I'm sure everyone has heard about the, the, the things that she said. That, that has kind of left, a, you know, that's left a bit of a funny smell around the whole reunion thing. Mm-hmm. So now going into this uh, Fantastic Beast film, how do you take something that she is all over? She wrote the screenplay. She came mm-hmm. up with the story. She would, you know, a screenwriter is supposed to be in the middle of these things doing interviews and you know it's marketed as you know she's one of the most famous writers in the world like how do you market that i don't know i don't know how they're going to manage to separate the artist from the art in this in this case and i think you know i i know you could say like you know people are still buying the books they're still going to the plays yeah the people people have loved the books for 20 years the play is someone else's work i think and it then, is and, and, yeah there you go whereas this is a JK Rowling story. And I'm not sure how that's, I just, I don't see it working out. And it's a shame because it could be the best film. It could be the best installment. Mm-hmm. I just don't see people going to it. You see, I think the plan was to make five of them, but the, the second one, uh, I can't even remember. What was that? What was that? The, second the Crimes of Grindelwald. Oh, and that was kind of, um, that came out just as the whispers of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard started coming out that's as well. Right. And, some, and there were already some JK comments coming out also. So there was a lot of drama surrounding that film in particular and like yes. I for one think a lot of people thought that it was it, it wasn't a great film which you know what it wasn't as good as the first one for sure but there were elements in it that I actually thought were quite good and they were definitely going to be playing more on them in the latter film so it was definitely one of the, the bridging films as opposed to a great standalone as such and see, there's plan for five of them but will they go ahead with the full five because it just feels like the Hobbit take... prequels where the first one was okay the second one was terrible and then nobody watches the third one but wasn't the second one uh, the one that they actually just came up on the spot because they realized that fitting it into two films wasn't going to work so then they just sort of like elongated everything to make it into a second film and then put everything else into the third one well here's the dragon here's the dragon here's the dragon there's no dragon <laughs> <laughs> well you know we could go off on a whole tangent about the hobbit but unfortunately time is caught up against us um guys thank you so much there for looking at what might be potentially the, the biggest flops of uh, 2022 avatar 2 and the third fantastic beast coming up after the break uh, we're going to be looking at some of our predictions some of the interesting things that may happen in 2022 in the world of film and some potential big oscar contenders that's all to come on we love movies we love movies with gordon hayden on spin you are very welcome back to the second half of we love movies olivia fahey andy mccarroll and chris wasser are still with me and we've been looking ahead 
to what is coming down the tracks in 2022. And now we are going to take a look at what we might, uh, what might be the big contenders when it comes to the Oscars. Um, two films of note, Andy, that have been really floated around have been uh, The Power of the Dog, uh, Jane Campion's new film, and then Kenneth Branagh's, it's a semi-autobiographical tale, Belfast. Are these the two at the moment that seem to be just sort of slipping ahead when it comes to the Oscar race? Yeah, I think they are. I think the only other kind of contender that was in the mix for a while there was Licorice Pizza by Paul Thomas Anderson. I don't think that's going to be as accessible or awards friendly as Belfast and the Power Dog at Belfast is a, you know, a black and white semi-autobiographical film from you know Kenneth Branagh, who was a prestige director as well. It's got a great cast. Judy Dench is there, Kieran Hines. And the Power of the Dog is like a Western by Jane Campion with Benedict Cumberbatch was their kind of awards darling one. So I think it's going to be a straight shootout for most of the main categories for them. Things like, you know, the predictions beforehand was things like House of Gucci or Spencer, which were absolutely terrible films. So I see them falling by the wayside. Kirsten Stewart inexplicably in there for Best Actress. It's a Saturday Night Live sketch again. She's doing that Jared Leto thing where she just like waves her hands and tilts her head and says, gee, golly, wish. I'd love to see Alana Haim get it for Licorice Pizza, but I think it's going to be Olivia Coleman or, or Nicole Kidman. I think they're the two and they know how to do the awards circuit far better than Kirsten Stewart or, or Lady Gaga do. So they would be my two picks as well for, for best actress. Um, just looking at, for yourself, uh, um, Olivier, Dune, like I'd, I'd like to think the Nee Villeneuve's film is going to feature. Do you think it will? I do. I think it's definitely worthy of a Best Picture nomination. And I would be very surprised if it didn't get things like editing, cinematography and director. Um. I think it's probably not going to be a favourite to win Best Picture, but I do think that it, it's deserving of a number of, of nominations for sure. Okay, what about West Side Story? I know you loved this when it came out, and unfortunately, it just seems to have slipped off the face of the earth at the box office. Do you think it can be redeemed in some sort of capacity when it comes to awards? I do, because you do often see films that haven't necessarily done very well in the box office. Once they do start getting a couple of award wins under their belt, they would start to see a bit of an increase in box office sales. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see if it does get nominated for the likes of Best Picture and Best Director. There's an outside chance that Rachel Zegler might get a Best Actress nomination for her role as Maria. So if it does get a couple of nominees nominations under its belt, yes, I do think it probably will see a little bit of a bump. If it actually ends up winning any of them, then it should see a, a massive bump from that because then people will go, oh, well, actually, this must have been worth seeing after all. And by the time the Oscars roll around, it'll be a bit safer as well for cinema goers also. Uh, Chris, what about yourself? Um, Andy mentioned there at the top, Belfast. Um, do you see that being the film that others will have to try and catch up with? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's not a film that I, or it's a film I've yet to, to, to see. I think it's released in cinemas on the 21st of January in Ireland. Um, but the kind of notices it's been picking up, uh, the, there's an awful, uh, yeah, and, and, the, and the buzz around uh, Jamie Dornan's performance, uh, it looks as though it will dominate at the Oscars. And it's going to be a terrific year for, for, for Kenneth Branagh. Uh, between this, uh, the release of his new Poirot film, uh, Death in the Nile, I don't, know, I don't know how many people will go see that. And then he's also got a Bee Gees biopic uh, uh, coming up uh, towards the end of the year. I think this is going to be a terrific year for him. Um, and I think there's the, we might also see some uh, awards nominations for uh, Katrina Balfe and Kieran Hines as well. Uh, this could be one of those years, you know, we're always so obsessed with 
how many Oscars the Irish got. And that's the report, you know, at six o'clock on the day, whenever the Oscar nominations come out. And it's always kind of like, well, you know, Irish money helped to make this film or, you know, we were nominated in the technical category. I think this could be the year where we see an awful lot of performances by Irish actors uh, uh, receive uh, Oscar nominations. So that could be cool. Great stuff, Chris. Thank you so much for that. We're now going to look at at, uh, some predictions for this year. Some of the stories that might pan out for you, Andy. What about The Rock? Or it's like been on Dwayne Johnson. Um, he's been very public in, in his view in regard to Vin Diesel, trying to lure him back into the the Fast and Furious saga. But he's made it very clear, and and he's been very measured in uh, his response to Vin Diesel's recent post that he won't be coming back. Do you see this almost like like WWE, like where it, it, it's this is playing out like the way two wrestlers would. Uh, get at each other, get get under each other's skin so that they'll eventually face off at WrestleMania. Yeah, say what you will about The Rock. The man knows how to build a feud and how to self-promote. If you think that, you know, if The Rock didn't want to come back sincerely, was actually annoyed at Finn Diesel, he would not be answering questions and he would not voluntarily bring the things up. You want to know my point? Look how many times he's brought up accusations about him, well, accusations, using steroids and using testosterone replacement. None. He won't talk about that because he doesn't want to. He's talking about this to keep that in the back burner. If there's one thing he can do, it's make money and do self-preservation. I guarantee you at some point we will see him in the Fast 10 movie holding a bottle of that terrible, terrible tequila. He mightn't be on the same, you know, Vin Diesel might not be in the same room as him, but I guarantee there'll be some reference to him. He'll make a million Instagram posts about it, about how he had to do this and he'd done this for Paul Walker. And it's so, you know, I'm doing this out of the kindness of my heart. Just happen to have a film crew here to give away all these things and all this tequila, (laughs) tequila, tequila, tequila. Love Paul Walker. Yes, it's all for the fans. Uh, I, well, listen, it'd be kind of remiss of us not to um, uh, not to mention something about a uh, good old uh, Dwayne Johnson. And another favorite here on the show, Chris, is Jared Leto. And he's got Morbius that's waiting in the wings. Will it ever get released? It's been delayed, delayed, delayed. And the, the recent um, story that's been put out there is that it's been delayed again because Spider-Man is just doing so well at the moment that Sony don't want Morbius to come out on its coattails and it just sort of sinks without trace so it's better off you delay it again to give it a bit of breathing space away from Spider-Man No Way From Home do you do you really see that as the truth or is it just the film needs a lot more work I'll tell you, wars have been fought and won in, uh, you know, in, 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 in quicker time than, than this film has been completed and it hadn't, still hasn't been released. Actually, my outlandish prediction for 2022 is that Morbius finally gets released because I think this was originally supposed to be out in 2020, the summer of 2020. Um, the teaser thing for is, this came out before they started shooting No Way Home. There you go. There you go. And the world is a very different place than, <laughs> than it looked back then. I think the bottom line is not an awful lot of people are pushed on seeing, you know, a Jared Leto vampire Marvel movie. Um, but there are an awful lot of things tying into this. I mean, Michael Keaton's in there. You know, it is technically, you know, a Spider-Man, a Sony Marvel film. You know, it does mention Venom in the trailer. This is part of that world. This is part of that universe. So whether or not the decision has anything to do with the new variant, whether it has anything to do with Sony being nervous that, you know, what if we release a terrible Spider-Man related film after, you know, the time will people, you know, be annoyed at us. I don't know what pushing it out a couple months is actually about, but what I do know is that this film looks terrible and I'm, it's, that, that's, that's what's going to, that, that is going to affect it going in that, you know, the trailer doesn't, doesn't seem to have excited anyone. Um, again, Jared Leto, he's not a movie star. 
He's not, and he's not no. bankable. So I don't know what Sony are hoping, or we're hoping when, when they put him at the center of this. I think this could be, you know, again, not quite disastrous. It is Marvel. People will go see anything with that Marvel label on it, but it'll make a lot of money in its first weekend, and then it'll just drop, like, you know, like so many others. Uh, last word to you, Olivier. Is there anything that you can predict that might transpire in 2022? I was I was actually thinking that my outlandish prediction after our conversation earlier is probably not as outlandish as it was. Um, but I think Avatar 2 is actually going to be a bigger box office success than Spider-Man No Way Home. Just be, purely because I remember Avatar was such a massive hit because of its numbers in Asia. And I do think that it's still probably going to go down as a massive hit in that side of the world as well. So while people in Ireland, the UK and potentially the US as well, they might be a little bit more like more critical over it, things like that. I do still think it's going to make mega, mega books in the box office. So my prediction is by the end of the year, that's going to be top dog. Oh, that's an interesting one. Well, guys, thank you so much, uh, as always, uh, for your contributions on the show. Olivia Fahey, Chris Wasser and Andy McCarroll. We are back next Sunday from 8 right here on Spin. Enjoy your Sunday and we'll talk to you again next week.